This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 457, for May 20th, 2015. We're brought to you this week by The Great Courses, Dashlane, and Igloo. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I am a senior contributor at Macworld, Glenn Fleischman, uh, back from the hardware mines where I've been toiling for weeks. I actually have a working computer now, and, and it's, it's like being given a new lease on life. And that yay you heard was from Susie Oaks, executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. Welcome back. Oh, my gosh. It's like being <laughs> on a horrible, the worst vacation ever. Yeah. <laughs> worst, worst working vacation ever. I'm now at 100% speed. Joining us this week also are Caitlin McGarry, staff writer at Macworld. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. And Roman Loyola, senior editor at Macworld, the once and future Roman Loyola. Welcome back. Howdy. Great to have you. This is exciting. Uh, we have uh, various things to discuss this week because we're in, we're in a, a non-announcement week. Although, just before we recorded this, Apple did release, I realize, some new pricing and some new options for uh, MacBook and iMac. So we will talk about that briefly. But I think the big news of the week is the new Steve Jobs movie trailer. Oh, yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> Oh, I watched it. I hadn't watched it until you mentioned it to me for the podcast, and I was very, I was great pain. Uh, Susie, you hated this thing, I think. I am not a fan. I didn't like it. I mean, this was just kind of the teaser trailer, so those can be sort of unsatisfying. You want to find out more about the movie, especially this movie, because we've been hearing a lot about it. Many of us may be sick of it, not speaking from experience or anything. But um, so yeah, we, it, it's our first glimpse of. Michael Fassbender. I almost called him Steve Fassbender. So he's, <laughs> he's becoming Steve Jobs. Um, so our first glimpse of, of Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs. And but that, that's really all that you get is you get a little glimpse and some snippets. And it's it's really just a teaser. But I, I wasn't a fan. I don't know. What'd you guys think? It seemed a lot like the the social network trailers that came out before that movie. And I didn't expect much um of the social network and was surprised at how good it was. So I think that the Steve Jobs movie will probably be better than the other Steve Jobs movies, although I'm not <laughs> sure that that's saying a whole lot, but we'll see. Correct me. This is the third Steve Jobs movie. One was uh, Ashton Kutcher's Steve Jobs movie in 2003. Then we had the Funny or Die which was sort of a movie. It was a movie, but it was I haven't even watched that one yet. Well, I don't know that I think uh, I think that um Dan Morin and Lex Friedman, I think they took the hit for the team for Macworld maybe two years ago when that came out. I forgot when that came out. Uh, and uh, and they watched it and reviewed it. And I think it was really um, unwatchable. Yeah, I think it was 2000. Oh, yeah, they were trying to steal um, a little bit of the Kutcher uh, theme. It was made very quickly and it had Justin Long playing Steve Jobs. Oh, yeah. It was a little bit like a parody. I watched some of it. Um, so we have two movies and now we have the third well, there was also Revenge of the Nerds with... Uh, oh, God, yeah. What's his name from ER? Uh, oh, no, Wiley. That was good, though. Pirates of Silicon Valley. Right. He oh, yeah. was a good Steve Jobs. That was yeah. a good movie, wasn't it? Pirates, Pirates, of, Pirates of Silicon Valley. Right. Revenge, Revenge of the Nerds is a good movie, movie as well. <laughs> I thought Pirates but, of Silicon Valley is when you steal uh, HBO. But, uh, yeah, that was that was a really good one. When Jobs came out, I did a little um, look for Tech Hive, a little roundup of other tech movies, and did they get the tech industry right or wrong? And it had um, The Social Network and some other ones. But yeah, the Pirates of Silicon Valley was really fun funny and I liked how it wove together the story of Apple with the story of Microsoft because sometimes Apple people can think that Apple's the only thing in the world but yeah other things were going on and those two companies influenced and um, antagonized each other a lot in the early days so it was a really funny movie and I love how Steve Ballmer kept talking right to the camera and he was he, a good Steve who is Steve Ballmer in that he was great. the guy who voices Bender oh, oh I've met him uh, John DiMaggio he is he is an enormous human being. He is like he is Bender too in person. His personality is very much the. I think they captured him for Futurama, uh, yeah. rather than the other way out. He's not appealing. Yeah, he's uh, he's like six six and um, and it's, oh my god, his giant personality. He was really balmery in this oh, movie. Yeah. It was very balmericious. He's a great. He just released actually a really good movie about voiceover artists too. I think it came out last year. So if you check out uh, John, is DiMaggio's. it called In a World? In a world. No, that's a no, different voiceover that movie. That was like a rom-com kind of voiceover movie. Yeah, this is like too. a documentary about oh, cool. uh, about voices, which is uh, timely because Harry Shearer is reportedly not returning to 
uh, Simpsons for the last couple of seasons. So, uh, uh, can we not talk about that? Oh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> We're all that's, over the place. That's a heartbreaker right there. Well, he'll, he may be back. He's a stranger. Billy, Billy West, was, I got to attend a table reading of Futurama, one of the many cancellations they had. I got to attend what was supposed to be the last uh, taping and uh, met Billy West, who will probably be brought in to do Shearer's voices. But... We're getting astray. Uh, so we talked about Becoming Steve Jobs, the uh, biography that came out not long ago that um, uh, the company and many people sort of signed off on as being a more accurate portrayal. It just seems like everybody wants to tell us what Steve Jobs is like. And I wonder if it's because he's sort of, you know, he's gone. We'll never know precisely. And he's sort of so unknowable. He was so cryptic in so many ways and private that maybe there's this idea like, all right, he made this giant, giant company. Everything he did was iconic, and yet nobody ultimately understands who the heck he is, except maybe some of his closest friends and family. Yeah, and he's got such a Hollywood-friendly story, you know, the whole, like, he got kicked out of Apple, and then he went to Next, and then he, like, saved Pixar, and then he came back to Apple and saved Apple, and it's it's just a, it's a very dramatic story more than, you know, I was CEO of a company for a while, and they made some products. And right, then, then he has, he dies. Dying and then is I actually, died, yeah. sadly, very good for, I think this is like love, the uh, love story, except for a computer company. <laughs> Being Steve Jobs <laughs> means never having to say you're sorry. Yeah. I'm dating myself with that reference. Uh, so also this week, so go watch the trailer and watch uh, go watch Pirates of Silicon Valley. Yeah, there should be another better, more informative trailer, I'm sure, coming along in a couple of months. Maybe they'll attach it to some big summer movie. So we'll see more. The movie is coming out in October. <laughs> And Aaron Sorkin wrote the screenplay, and it's based on the Walter Isaacson book, which was the only one that was written with Steve Jobs' cooperation. So it should have some good stuff in it. I think it'll probably be better than the, the Ashton Kutcher movie. So it, it may have a lot of walking and talking, because that's what Aaron Sorkin likes to do. Mm-hmm. He loves the walk and talk. Walk and talk. People yeah. talking at the same time. And uh, that's more Robert Altman. walking down the hallways of one infant. They'll just be walking infinitely down that. Yeah, I was glad to see Kate Winslet in the trailer because the Jobs movie really didn't have a lot of significant speaking roles for women. So it was the trailer doesn't say who that she plays. Does anyone know who is she playing? Yeah, Cotton or no, no, no. She plays Joanna Hoffman, who worked on the the first Macintosh with Steve and was always standing up to him and telling him when he was wrong. I watched an old. clip of the two of them talking it was during a few uh, of the early meetings on the Macintosh project and she just tells him about his reality distortion field and how he's completely crazy for trying to push this project faster and faster and um, I'm excited to see Kate Winslet play her actually. I, I love her as an actress and that's great that they're I mean that's the people that Steve respected most it sounds like and that's I think a pretty significant and and verified thing are people who uh, gave him crap, you know? They, they push back and deal with his terrible attitude and manner and would hang up on him, and then <laughs> and he'd call back and he'd be more polite and so forth. Uh, there also, there'll be, uh, it looks like, three actresses playing uh, uh, Lisa, his daughter, at different points in her life. Um, so that's good, too. It'll be a little more balanced. Because it's, it's, I don't know, the film, I think some of the biography, well, the biography's not so much, but it's often like, you know, the lone genius, and it's surrounded by a bunch of male geeks. It's, like, eh, it's not like that. I think... The women involved in the in the early Mac, they didn't write books. I I can't think of one. There's so many books and memoirs and websites run by people, uh, guys in the early days, and I think the women just went on to do other <laughs> do other things and didn't have the yeah. same nostalgia about the the good old days. Hey, so we had some uh, this week. Also, we had some rumors about. Uh, uh, we we only discussed truly verified rumors, of course, but no, we like to talk about things that swirl to debunk them or to see whether we think this is something that's uh, that's going to become uh, a true about both the Watch and Apple TV updates. What's going on? Um, what's the buzz? Well, um, the Watch software was updated today um, to Watch OS 1.0.1. That is not a rumor. So, that's verified. <laughs> yes, that's verified. Um, and the rumors were that maybe they were working on a find my watch kind of thing where it doesn't have GPS, but it could at least tell you where it lost Bluetooth connection with your phone or your watch could buzz you if you're leaving your phone behind. Say you have a phone and you're going to a bar and there's people from Gizmodo there. Anyway, <laughs> um, oh. but <laughs> and then the other, the other rumor about watch updates was that they would let third parties put um, complications on your watch face, um, which isn't the same as having third-party watch faces, which would be kind of cool too, but I don't know, you could have like a little Uber thing on your watch face that would 
flash when your Uber was coming or something like that. So those aren't part of the the update that came out today. So if they were going to do something more significant, that sounds like a 1.1 kind of thing. And maybe we'll hear about it at WWC. Um, and then the Apple TV rumor is that they're working on a streaming service that will have different you know channels like like Sling TV is doing, like HBO Now is kind of doing. You'll subscribe and get a lot of content to your Apple TV, hopefully to your other Apple devices as well. That surfaced um, before, though. Is this like a, this is kind of like a, a more a concrete, because um, there was sort of, uh, the Wall Street Journal, I think, it reported on it a few weeks ago, and this is more concrete, is there more details coming out? Yeah, what do you remember, Caitlin? You covered this yesterday, I think. Yeah, I think the big thing, or the biggest thing, was uh, Siri integration, which obviously everybody mm. is clamoring for. Um, and, uh, yeah, just some more details on, on that live streaming, uh, service, but it's, it's not clear if they'll actually be able to nail that down in time for WWDC. It seems like maybe they'll announce it and then try to get more people on board. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm not really sure what they'll be able to, to come up with in time. That's just three weeks away now, isn't it? So yeah, it's really eight. short. Yeah. So that's. Although they push stuff at the end, then sometimes they just, you know, if it's not ready, they, you don't hear about it at the event. And then, you know, in July or August, they'll come out with some special, special thing. Yeah. Um, and they like to wait till things are done before they talk about them. But they can kind of tease things, too. Like when they launched Apple Pay, it had, you know, this many banks and these many cards. And then once the other banks and card issuers saw who was involved and, you know, what kind of early results they were getting, they were like, yeah, us too. Let's Let's get in on that. So... So that that could be, you know, something that happens with the TV service too, but I think that's something you're asking consumers to pay for, so it really does have to be great at the beginning if you're going to sell people on it. I want to highlight the uh the watch, the the uh, uh maybe find my watch support in the future is uh Susie you had me write something about this because uh there was all this Apple Watch easy to steal headlines. And I noticed some of those change because they're not easy to steal. <laughs> they're, they're easy to erase. If you have stolen them, they're easy to fence, maybe. Uh, but I thought that was kind of a funny little, um, you know, we went through this thing where it was, you know, is this a feature or a bug? And there's a support page at Apple that explains exactly how to erase your phone if you forgot your passcode. This, I'm not, it, it was the date was a couple days before I think the news broke, in quotes. Uh, but, um, you know, they absolutely need to do more, and I expect they will. It's sort of silly that you can't, uh, lock your watch in some way against being erased. But I understand also with the new device, they don't want to put friction in. And uh, there's not that many of these out there in terms of all the watches and what people are looking for. I don't think thieves are targeting Apple watches yet. They would if this continues and there's no way to have an activation lock thing on them. It's also much harder to steal a watch than it is a phone. I mean, your phone can slip out of your pocket or, you know, if you're wearing a big coat, you might not feel someone reach in and take it. But this thing, you have to, like, undo the clasp. But, I mean, someone would have to hold my arm down to get it off my wrist. So I'm not, I'm not really concerned about it. And I live in New York. I take the subway. So I think if anything were going to happen to me, it would happen here. So I'm, I'm picturing I, thieves handing you the gun. Here, hold my gun while I do yeah. I need two hands. <laughs> I need them. to undo your clasp. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, yeah, the, I think I think that's the thing is I think it's a little overwrought now, but in yeah, a year the Android Wear watches don't have that, and like regular watches don't have that. So it's not that like oh Apple really dropped the ball. Like people are expecting Apple to have something that no other watch has. So yeah, you know the, I think they'll get there and they'll they'll add something, some kind of um, you know tethering thing where it lets you know uh, you know your phone could let you know if you it was. If your watch was gone or let you know like where your watch was last seen by the phone, that would be helpful, I guess. Um, I'm more likely to leave my phone behind since it's not strapped to my arm. Uh, so if my watch could say like, hey, you're not at home and I just lost Bluetooth connection with your watch, I'd like to be able to geofence that so it doesn't annoy oh. me when I'm at work or when I'm at home. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm at work. I'm going down to another floor. Like, I'm leaving my phone behind. This would be but, great. I was thinking that was the thing. Like that's like losing your phone is much worse than your – I mean, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. If you've got your watch, why doesn't your watch buzz and say you're now out of range of, or it can measure Bluetooth, you know, it knows it drops down uh, in terms of um, uh, signal strength. So it knows yeah. how far you are or how much intervening. You could set a couple 
And there's other products like little Bluetooth tracking things that are on the market now where, yeah, like they don't have GPS in them, so they can't tell you exactly where your thing is, but they can tell you like where they last saw it. And, you know, that can help you retrace your steps. And if someone hasn't, you know, then picked it up and walked off with it further, it might still be where you left it. So that would be a nice thing for the Apple Watch to do. I use the the find my phone thing on the Apple Watch constantly. It has to still be connected. But if I'm at home, I'm always just putting my phone down and walking away. And then I'm like, oh, crap, where did I leave my phone? And if, if, if I can't find it, I have to get my husband to call it so it'll make noise. But the Apple Watch has a little thing in the glance, the like uh, control center kind of glance where you can tap it and it'll make your phone make a nice little sound. And that way you can find your phone in your house if you're dumb like me and keep losing it. That's no, everybody loses their phone. Everyone loses their phone. But uh, let, we should take a break and talk about one of our sponsors. And this is a great security segue. Dashlane is one of our sponsors this week. It's a password manager that's already helped out over 2 million users online. Now, if you've read anything that I've written at Macworld about passwords, you know that I think that there are a lot of problems with passwords. And one of them is that sites sometimes create uh, absurd rules that you have to follow to make them. You're supposed to create a unique password for every site. There's all of these things that go into making sure that your password, if it's stolen in one place, if there's a site breach or a key logger installed or something, that you're not risking your passwords everywhere. So Dashlane helps you with this problem. It will create unique passwords for you, and then it can help you fill them in at sites you visit. So you can meet those rules. You can create extremely strong, complex passwords that you don't have to remember. We're human beings. We're not computers. We should have the computers doing the work, and Dashlane helps you that by offering you the complexity you need to create a unique and strong password. And it also... Dashlane works on all these different devices. So you don't have to do this just on your phone or your computer. It syncs between them. They're, it's secured. So you always have all your passwords up to <coughs> excuse me. You always have all your passwords up to date on all your devices and with you wherever you go, because you're carrying your phone with you wherever you go. As long as we don't forget where it is. We have our phone. So what does it take to get Dashlane? Well, it's free. Macworld listeners can go to dashlane.com slash macworld. That's D-A-S-H-L-A-N-E dot com slash macworld and get Dashlane for free and try it out. This is a way to make the computer in your phone or the computer in your computer do the important work for you and you don't have to memorize all of these different passwords while still retaining the strength of the complexity that you need. Uh, so thanks to Dashlane for being one of our sponsors this week. Uh, speaking of watches, we've been watching the Samsung verdict because, uh, and Samsung make watches. There's my terrible segue. Uh, the Samsung verdict, uh, uh, kind of a big reversal and, and, uh, it's not, we're not down for the count with it yet. Or Apple isn't down for the count with it yet, but, um, it seems like they're not going to as easily get that $1 billion or so they were promised. Uh, what's going on with the, uh, what did the court decide, uh, about the, uh, that big verdict, that big award? Yeah, so I remember that big trial back in 2012, and it was a story kind of forever, and it ended up with uh, Apple winning that um, uh, the jury found that Samsung had infringed on Apple's trade dress, which means that it made its phones look too much like the Apple phone, and they did it on purpose, and they knew what they were doing. So, of course, Samsung immediately appealed, and that's in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the federal circuit, and uh it's, you know, now they're saying that, no, that jury was wrong. And it's the aesthetics of a phone can't be protected. I mean, you guys didn't invent a rectangle with rounded edges. You didn't invent a square with rounded edges. And that it's more important is what, you know, what the device does and how it works and stop getting so hung up on what it looks like. So that court of appeals says that Samsung doesn't have to pay. But of course, you know, that's not the last word. And, and Apple will probably be appealing this as well. So, so they, might, um, they might still have to pay. Uh, we don't know what they'll have to pay because the district court's going to have to recalculate, right? They have to figure out what part apparently related to the trade dress component. Yes. It's a funny thing, you know, that trial went on. It's, you know, I feel like this is a last remnant of, of Steve Jobs' um, peak at other companies. Like the Apple put a lot of time and money into this for something where, yeah, they got, you know, they won, they got the moral victory, I guess. But boy, it just doesn't seem, I mean, this has been dragging on and it's consumed a lot of resources. I don't think Apple's launched any similar lawsuits of this scale since Jobs passed, if I recall correctly. I think this was like the last big one in... And Cook talked, I think, a bit more about moving on. Maybe they, I mean, sure, they still sue 
uh, smaller companies, other kinds of, of things they go through. But I don't think we've seen anything like this since the Samsung suit. It just doesn't really matter anymore. I mean, Samsung phones are still going to be sold everywhere. They're not going to be able to stop that from happening. At this point, it just seems like a moral win or loss in any in any case. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if anyone at Apple actually cares about this anymore. They probably do, but it's <laughs> it's not gonna it's not gonna affect anything. So I don't know if they should. Yeah, the, well, even the billion dollars is like you know it's oh that's the profit they made in what three weeks or something like that or even right that would be point. damaging maybe to Samsung but dropping yeah. the Apple bucket. I think I think Samsung's being attacked more by the fact that uh, the commoditization of the market that they're in and and other issues. So they they already got their own issues without this. So I think the the majority, not all, but I think the majority or vast majority of cars sold now have some kind of car integration. They either have USB port or Bluetooth or both built in, even on. Um, relatively inexpensive base models. So my wife and I just got a 2012 Honda Fit, the car apparently that most Macintosh owners drive, to judge by Twitter <laughs> response to us buying it. And uh, we didn't think it had anything built in. And we bought it from uh, our auto shop that we've been going to for 20 years that we love. We're the first car they've sold. They just became a dealership for used cars. And they're wonderful, but they weren't totally familiar with the model. They got it for us. And, and um, I'm just driving it for a day, and I'm like, oh, it does have USB. They hid... The adapter in some like second glove box thing. So <laughs> we're thinking, I ordered a kit from Crutchfield. We'll get them to upgrade. Oh no, no, it's got USB. It's just over on the side. Has uh, so Caitlin, you get exempt from this discussion at the moment because I realize you don't you do not own a car living in New York right now. But uh, thank you, uh, Roman and Susie. Have you had to deal with uh, odd auto integration issues in your vehicles? Um, I bought a new car it's a year and a half ago, and the car I bought comes with Microsoft Sync, Ooh. and it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just odd integration, it's bad integration. Sync, stink. Um, it works, but you have these weird interface things where you have to navigate out to get back into a menu, and it's just, it's not good, It, but it works. Um, and my car has Bluetooth and USB, and it works fine. I can connect my iPhone to it easily. But yeah, the sync is not, it is not good. And maybe, I know there are different um, iterations of sync. So I think I have like the entry level kind of not really sync pro. I don't know what it's called. It's not the good sync, I guess. Um, but yeah, it, it's not that good. My wife bought a Prius. She also bought a car about a year and a half ago. Um, but she doesn't have sync in it. it she had a Prius. It's a Toyota, so it doesn't have that, and it's it's. But it works pretty seamlessly for her too, and her car also has Bluetooth. The weird thing was like exactly this morning. Uh, so in San Francisco, a lot of times, people have to park tandemly in their garages, so mm. not side by side. But mm -hmm. so the the problem is if your car is parked in the back, you have to move. You have to shuffle cars around. It's a lot. It happens a lot in San Francisco. So I had to move my wife's car. In order to move her, my, in order to get to my car, and she was having an early morning meeting, uh, teleconferencing on her phone, but she was upstairs in the house. Oh. <laughs> so I start the car, and the car automatically connects to her phone, and I'm sitting in on her meeting <laughs> as I'm driving the car out, and I'm trying Awkward. not to say anything because it'll beat me up. And, I'm hoping I don't hear anything that I shouldn't hear. So it was kind of a weird. Uh, what weird if the situation. meeting was like what to buy you for your birthday right. or something? This or meeting something. has been convened yeah. for That's Roman surprise party. <laughs> you know, I I've got one of these uh, you know these adapters that you can get that plug into your car diagnostic port. Automatic is the um, actually automatic. Oh, is that something sounds cool. I wanted to try that. We'll talk about them on a future episode. I've been working. Uh, I've got one of their early ones in um, beta testing uh, to write a review uh, two years ago. Uh, so I have a huge amount of data, and I've watched their app update. They just announced before we started this podcast that they're releasing an ecosystem of apps, and I couldn't figure out what they meant initially. But what uh, what's great is because of integration in iOS now, and this has I think been available before on Android. They are they're now third party apps that are standalone apps that work with uh, they integrate through the automatic app to talk to your car. So the automatic thing, it's a little, we'll talk about it more in a future episode, but it's just a little doohickey with Bluetooth and a new version they're shipping now is GPS and Bluetooth for more accurate testing. You plug it into a port that's in every car made since I think 96 in America, mm -hmm. the ODB, 
OBD2 port, I think it's called, and uh, and it connects via Bluetooth. Well, I've had the same experience, Roman, where I'm inside and my phone kind of gives me this bleedle or whatever. I look at it. It's because my wife has started the car outside and we're within Bluetooth <laughs> range. And then she drives off and it bleedles it like it's lost the signal. I'm like, oh, this is the unintentional Bluetooth acquisition side effect problem. Does it tell you your car is being stolen? <laughs> Like there goes no, your car, you, man. You can get those. Go get it. Our car your was watch stolen. Is in the car. We, we had the last car in our street without automatic ignition disabling technology. We no longer. We just upgraded that car. So that's the car. But our car was stolen. The previously stolen car in our block was the one that was two years older than our car. Anyway, so it's so we're we. Uh, when the car was stolen, uh, it actually was used for someone to shoot up and recovered and uh, with needles and so forth. Delightful. And uh, But I found they pulled all this stuff out from underneath the dashboard. And the deal is they thought there might be a GPS tracker. And automatic is only Bluetooth. It does not have a cell connection. And even the new version doesn't. Uh, but they pulled out like a fuse and some other stuff. So it must be really typical now that cars have uh, – and I know you can get these things that are like – they use GPRS, the old uh, 2G – technology, um, uh, it's early digital GSM technology, it's very inexpensive. So you can get devices that do really low data stream. So I'm guessing this is much more uh, common now than it used to be, given that thieves immediately pulled everything out that they could. Susie, what's your, uh, what's your, do you have a Bluetooth or USB uh, car story? Or does it all work perfectly for you because you're blessed? Oh, you're blessed. no. <laughs> My car is, so I drive a 2006 Subaru and I love it like a person, um, but it's not super <laughs> techie. We put an aftermarket stereo in it because the, the, the Subaru just factory stereo is really bad. And the guy Terrible. told us, like, we have the total base model. We didn't upgrade anything. And he's like, you're going to love everything except the stereo. Just get a new stereo immediately. So we did. And it doesn't – it has a an I, it has an aux in jack so we can connect our iPhones to that. But it, it's in the back. So we had to have a guy install it. And he, you know, drilled a hole in the dash so they could thread this iPhone phone cable, but it's a 30-pin cable, and now we're both using you know, Lightning iPhones, and it just stopped working again. So I'm going to go ahead and get uh, – Pioneer has been kind enough to send me a couple of different um, CarPlay stereos. So I'm going to get one of those installed with, like, the microphone and the Lightning cable and the whole nine and finally be able to listen to my iPhone in the car again because right now I'm listening to the FM radio, and it's just not the same experience. Um, we're the same person as as maybe previously been established. Uh, <laughs> sorry, is uh, we have a 2005 Subaru. Same thing. They said don't use the. So we got exactly. We have a pre everything. It only has a USB plug in it, but it has no better, no good integration. The, the I want to get so. one that has a USB plug on the front because the mm -hmm. thing is the the cables that they install they charge me a ridiculous amount for this cable, and then it starts to it's not a high quality cable and it starts to kind of go after a while. I've had it replaced twice already in the like oh I've had the car for many years so I've had this cable replaced twice already. But it costs and like one hundred and fifty dollars yeah. or something yeah, it's or seventy ridiculous. eighty dollars yeah yeah because then then and well and part of it is labor because they have to take you know it out of the dash and hook it in. The the back and stuff so but i just want one you know now all the aftermarket stereos you get they just have a usb port on the front and that's all you need so yeah this so is if, unsolicited recommendation for crutchfield crutchfield i should say they are not a sponsor of this podcast i don't think they ever have been uh, uh they have i don't know if their prices are always the best they have great customer service and they send you ridiculously detailed instructions on how to put in a radio. Oh, yeah. I've put cool. in three radios, the Fit, and a lot of the newer cars, this gets us into like the proprietary nature of, uh, you know, I just got a new Mac Mini because my old one died slowly, and it has soldered on the board uh, RAM. So unlike every previous Mini, I can't just pop open the bottom and, uh, you know, they used to have that thing, you just rotate the black. Yeah. Uh, right. The bottom still opens. I don't know why. Like, that's the whole point of it's the bottom opening is so you can very put more sad. RAM. So I had yeah. to get a build-to-order unit and wait several extra days and pay the Apple tax on RAM, which is not as high as it used to be. It's actually relatively low. But that's the thing, the Honda Fit, and a lot of cars now are built with essentially almost unremovable, unmodifiable, integrated uh, car radio systems so that they, you, they basically you have to upgrade with them at the time you buy the car or you have to put in ugly cables. Lame. It's a strategy. Uh, let's take uh, another quick break, and then we will uh, t thank one of our sponsors, and then we'll come back with, uh, with a topic that Caitlin has a lot to say about, living in New York. Mysteries. What am I going to talk about? All right, we'll be back in a second with that, but let's thank uh, Igloo for being one of our sponsors this week. Now, you may have heard of Igloo. They're an intranet that you'll actually like. I know it's impossible. You're probably using tools that are outdated or developed in, let's say, uh, uh, 
Active X in 1999. I know I've seen networks in which XP is the standard and you're using Windows basic software, even though you're a Mac user, it's uh, you're using strange web apps. Well, Igloo has been redesigned to take advantage of modern technology. It's a cloud platform. So you're not hosting the stuff locally. You get the advantage of all the updates they offer and them handling all the backend for you. You can share files, you can post blog updates, you can coordinate calendars and manage projects. And you're not building it yourself. It's easy to use because they've made it easy to use and it's easy to configure. They use responsive design. So that means that every kind of device you're using, whether it's your desktop computer, your laptop, a phone, a tablet, uh, some, a phablet, I don't know all the names for things, there's all the form factors you can think of, a phonelet, all of these things will have a great result because their design is adaptive to whatever is responsive to whatever you're using and you get access to everything you need wherever you are. So whether you're a large enterprise that's stuck using SharePoint, I'm so sorry, or you're a fast growing business and you're overwhelmed by too many apps that you're dealing with to manage all your stuff, you can create an internet that matches your brand's look and feel. It simplifies how you work and it's accessible on your phone. You can sign up and try it for free if you go to igloosoftware.com slash macworld. That's igloosoftware.com slash macworld and give it a spin. You'll find out what it's like to be working in the 21st century and, and not the 20th. So thanks to Igloo for being one of our sponsors this week. Uh, so Caitlin, this topic is, uh, it's not designed entirely for you but I oh. think you will take advantage of it. Uh, <laughs> this is about the shut-in culture. And I'm not accusing you of being a shut-in. I know you get out of the house all the time. I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but Medium ran this story a few weeks ago. I thought it was interesting. I think it's a very uh, iOS and uh, uh, focused um, kind of thing. I mean, not, not that it excludes other mobile phone makers, but I think iOS is really the driver here. They ran a piece about the shut-in culture, which... Uh, the writer is watching streams of delivery people and service people come in and out the door in San Francisco at buildings. And people, you can live your entire life in an apartment and uh, and never have to do or go anywhere to get all the things you want now. I live in Seattle. We're not quite there yet. And I live in a house in a residential neighborhood uh, that's, you know, we're not too far out from the city. We're in the city proper. But I don't have a sense of this as much, even though I use some of these services. Caitlin, what is it like when everything is at your fingertips? Is it, <laughs> it's, is it it's challenging? <laughs> um, I think it's just that everything in New York and San Francisco specifically is so close together. So, um, you know, if you, if you want food, but you don't want to walk to get it because no one here drives, then, you know, someone will bike it over to you. I mean, these delivery people don't have cars either. They're just walking or biking things to you. So, um, it's definitely really convenient, but I, I try to limit myself because it can get way out of control. Um, so I only order in maybe once a week and I just like to get out and see my neighborhood and walk around. Um, but if you hate going outside, then sure. Um, you can, you can live your life completely without seeing anybody else. So I understand there's a key advantage, uh, whether you're in San Francisco or New York or some other, you know, and possibly even Seattle that, um, like, let's say you need something from Ikea. And my understanding is there are more Ikeas closer to people than ever before, but you can like hire somebody, right? Like this, I'm sound like, I'm going to sound like the country mouse and you all are the city, the, the city mice because, um, <laughs> uh, Seattle is still has Don't a pretty. Don't say city mice to me. <laughs> <laughs> city cockroaches. Sorry. City. Uh... It's a real thing. <laughs> oh, I've see, that's how much of a country mouse I am that I say that. <laughs> You're the sophisticates and I'm the rube up here in Seattle. And, uh, even though we're making a lot of the technology y'all are using, but yeah, so how much of that is, is useful and how much do you, you know, you or people, you know, do that, like where you're like, I need a table from Ikea, I'll use TaskRabbit or Ikea Deliver Robot or, or whatever. How useful is that kind of thing? I never use those services, to be honest. Like, I would rather just go get something myself, pick it out, look around. But if you're really wealthy and busy, that's great for you, I guess. Um, I, <laughs> I guess I'm not that wealthy or that busy to farm <laughs> out my tasks to people, but I guess it's convenient if you really need it. 
It's trading money for time, really. Um, so, I mean, like really wealthy people have always outsourced, you know, all these little jobs. They don't run their own errands. They don't buy their own groceries. Like that's just, you know, that, that was never their thing. They've had employees that do that. And now it's like, you know, middle class people who just have too much to do and not enough time can say, you know, what would I really like to be doing today? It's not laundry. It's not making an Ikea run. Because, I mean, Ikea is really hard to get in and out of there in any kind of like decent amount of time. So yeah, you would just throw some money at the problem and outsource it via an app. And the the way the reason apps are so attractive is that you don't have to like call someone up and admit that, you know, like you're wussing out of going to IKEA <laughs> for yourself. You just kind of like, you know, tap it in your phone. Your phone's not going to judge you. And then someone comes and, and brings it. And it's funny when you actually see the person, you're like, oh, hi. Yeah, that was me. You, you just did my laundry. Hi. Thank you. What was the, so was the controversy? You, you, you do get the shame moment, but you get it after your laundry has been washed for you. What's the service in San Francisco? I think San Francisco Week uh, uh, just ran a piece about that. Uh, Julia the laundry? Wa- we have like four or five startups for laundry. It's ridiculous. Apparently, like tech bros just have no idea how to do laundry. Oh, well, this was one. It was some delivery service, and they and the service changed its tipping structure so that if you, uh, in the past, you could, uh, uh, someone had a sign, the delivery person would hand the phone to the person who yes. had ordered. And I think they it was ch- Postmates. Yes, that's it, Postmates. Yeah. And that was, and it changes the model. I mean, the bottom of this mm-hmm. whole structure, there are human beings at the bottom, which sometimes is forgotten. And yeah. I, I think your comment, I mean, this is like Mechanical Turk. It's like the people turning the pages doing Google scanning, which, you know, they it's not automated. Secret, Google scanning isn't automated. That's why you see hands in the Google book scans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are people, it's made of people. But uh, I wonder, you know, do, uh, and, you know, where I think all of us are in that, uh, in the socioeconomic realm in which we're not, uh, you know, we're not the highfalutin types who are living high on the hog, but we've also, we've, you know, we're working in professional careers, but we all sort of know what it's like. You know, I used to, I was a Kelly girl once and then they called them Kelly girls. I was, uh, did temp work in an office and Susie, I think you have, uh, you tried this out too, not not the being a Kelly girl, but being a, <laughs> but, but seeing how close to. Uh, how did you know? We are the same person. Hey, I was I, I passed that typing test, and they put me into a pipe company like that. Uh, but t- <laughs> you you tested how viable this is, how like life living without. Uh, with what you had. How'd that, how'd that go oh, for you? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, we've already established that I'm a moron and I forget my wallet a lot. <laughs> so, so I'll be out in San Francisco and then realize like, oh, I don't have my wallet. Suddenly I can't pay for things in a traditional way. Um, so then, yeah, then I have to just see like what apps are on my phone that are going to let me get my business done. So, yeah, I was about to get on the bus the other day and, re- you know, to go to my, uh, to get my haircut, which I only do like twice a year. So I'm already like, ah, this is not my routine this is crazy I was trying to get on the bus it didn't have my wallet I was a good six blocks from my office so if I went back I was never going to get it so I'm like okay how are we going to do this we're going to call a lift because I don't need to you know cash money to pay for that and I'm going to get there I'm going to pay him with uh, square cash because that way you know he just needs a phone and an email address and I need my phone and that's all set up and then uh, I had to get my husband to pick me up. So that was not uh, super helpful. And yeah, then the next day I had to pay for the bus with quarters. So it's not seamless yet. I still do need my wallet for things. But it's kind of nice to know, yeah, I've forgotten my wallet before and been like, okay, what restaurants around here take PayPal? Or I'll have Postmates bring me a burrito instead of going out. So yeah, it's really handy when you forget your wallet or when you just have way too much to do, you know, those weeks where you're just like, everything's coming together this week and I need food and I need, you know, my chores done. Um, they, they can be really, really nice for that. I heard a story that was heartbreaking the other day, although it was very sweet, is uh, Selena Larson, who's another reporter in the San Francisco Love tech her. reporter. She's great. And uh, she tweeted that she got to the bus and she'd forgotten all her stuff. Like she had her phone. You know, this is the modern thing. Like you have your phone because that's what you live on. Yeah. She had no money. She had like no change. A homeless man paid for her bus And he, she's like, how do I get money back to her? He's like, just pay it forward. And I was like, oh my God, like that is the most human wonderful thing and she felt terrible but you know she's got a big art she'll figure out how to make that work uh but that is that's the danger it's like you walk out and you're like i got everything i need like oh no we're still not in a post you know we're not going to be in a post culture all right roman tell me what is your what is your secret thing that you do using these services 
that you didn't want anyone to know. No, what's that? Do you do you make do you avail yourself of anything that that these sort of like time for labor things or found one in which the amount of money charged is such a small premium or no premium over what you might otherwise do? You know, I I don't really use rely on these kind of apps a lot because I live in San Francisco. That's incentive for me to get out of my house. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I want to be out in the city. I want to explore, it, even if it's just going to the grocery store, because stuff happens in San Francisco, and that that in itself is an event. Um, so you know, the thing about the story that you're talking about, uh, the whole shut-in culture, is you know, these are the takeaway I got was these are people who are deciding to work more. Yeah. Yeah. And they take so they use these services. Yet they live in these cities like San Francisco and New York that have so much to offer. Even, like I said, even just doing the laundry. I remember when I used to live in an apartment and there was a laundryman next, next door and I used to think, oh man, I have to do laundry. But it was actually kind of fun doing laundry because you could meet people in the laundromat, you meet your neighbors, something could happen. A lot of times it didn't happen, but there was always this idea that you were in the city, you were, there was this electricity to the city and something yeah. could happen. And so I don't really use those kind of apps a lot because I live in San Francisco and because I feel like I should be getting out in the city and I should be experiencing the city, even if it's something as trivial as getting, getting some bread at the store. Roman, I love you. You're the, you're shining. <laughs> you all are, y'all are shiny examples of, uh, of this, you know, this it's the it's also the sort of young overpaid people. I think is part of what drives this, and oh, it's, just, right. it's which a is generational a thing. Yeah. you know, they, they grew up with this. We didn't. We're you know, we know that we have to even you know, even though like Amazon is there for shopping, I peruse the stuff on Amazon and do price comparisons. But I always think, you know what, I'm just going to go get it at the store instead of pay shipping and handling, and then have to wait at home for a package. And I don't want to be left on my doorstep because people steal packages and, th and just things like that. So I just rather go out and get it. You know, some people love to stay home and use the apps or rely on the web. I, I do too, but there's a distinction where I like to like to go out and live my life. <laughs> I'll tell you the one app that I'm aspirational for. We don't have it in Seattle yet, and I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, Roman and, and Susie, you've used this because it doesn't seem like the others, but it is sort of. It's a ship, as S H Y P. Yeah, have either I of you used it. that yet? I'm gonna give it a try because I have some stuff I need to return. And so, okay, the deal with ship is that you have things that you need to take to the post office. Have you ever tried to go to the post office? Uh, it's such a pain. Or it's even never open. Or the UPS store. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. I mean, any of those outfits. So you just tell the app what you need to ship. I think you take a picture of it or something, and they just come and take it away, and they just deal with it for you. It's and like it's not that expensive, right? It's house. like it's it's relatively cheap, and they includes all the shipping materials mm -hmm. and the shipment, and them packing it for you. And I'm like, okay, that it, these are it, like we have some jobs around the house that I call like uh, the thankless household tasks, and it's like cleaning the filter and the air conditioner cleaning the grease uh, filter above the stovetop, like things that are horrible. My wife and I divvy these out. They think, and my children are old enough. They will take on. And like shipping is practically a thankless household task. It's always awful. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to try that one out. I haven't tried that one yet. Because they're cheap. Their deal is they're trying to get up to volume. And if they're big mm -hmm. enough, they're going to get bulk shipping rates and be so cheap in terms of what they ship that they can still mark it up a little bit, but not as much. And you're going to wind up paying. I think their goal is actually to make it that it's almost the same as if you'd gone to the post office, which is possible when you reach a certain level of volume. If you're an, you know, you don't have to be an Amazon scale, you could be shipping you know, a million pounds a day or something and reach it. But uh, if they're not in Seattle yet, I, I will try them when they come because I feel like they actually would make my life better as opposed to just like, you know, say Roman, like keeping me from having to go outside. Uh, and the, the medium piece that we're going to link to in the show notes that kind of started this whole discussion, one of the cool things they talk about in there is that there's so many of these apps that now there are more services just to manage your services. Oh my God. So yeah, one of the winners at a TechCrunch Disrupt recently was a service called Alfred. And 
its job is to meet the Instacart guy oh, who brings your groceries God. and then bring the groceries all the way into your house and put them in your fridge. Oh, so you don't God. even have to be home to meet the people now. So like, yeah, the service that washes your clothes, they will fold your clothes and then Alfred will meet them there, take the clothes and then put them away in your closet for you. So <laughs> this is where class warfare starts. Let me tell yeah, you. <laughs> so that that's a little nuts. Like I, I can I can take care of that part. But if you're really just never, ever home and you just want to walk into if you want to have like an invisible wife who has just <laughs> taken care of everything for you and you just walk in and it's all done. I mean, I can see the appeal of that, obviously, but I'm surprised yeah, it wasn't so a product that's a called nuts. I'm surprised they didn't call it given the tenor of TechCrunch events. T- uh, invisible wife would have invisible been wife. Yes. That'd be a good one. If oh you want to do a competing one, you can take that and run with it. I'm just the idea person. Oh. Well, but I another think, service well, that I have tried that I, you know, sounded ridiculous until I tried it is uh, called Magic, and that's for if you don't even know which app to use. So Magic is a service that's done completely by text message. You're you're invited, and then they send you a text, and you like reply to a code or something. So so it knows that the texts that coming in to this this number are from you, and then you just tell it what you need, just like you were texting your invisible wife. You say. <laughs> <laughs> like so, if, you know if, you if, if yeah, if you know that you want to order a pizza, you open up Eat Twenty Four and you order a pizza. But if you're like, I want to order from a specific pizza place, and I'm not even sure if any of these apps have that pizza place in it. I don't know when the pizza place is open. You know, I, I have no information, but I know I have to get like this pizza from this place. You text Magic, and they just take care of it all for you. They do the research. They figure out the best option. They get back to you. They're like, okay, here's you know what you need to know to make the decision. It's going to cost this much. Do you want me to do it? And you're like, sure. And they just take care of it. So when Chris Breen um, left Macworld and went back to Apple, he had been working at home. His house is really, really far from our office. And he had a bunch of you know computers. So it was not convenient for me to go get them. It was not convenient for him to bring them in. And I've never hired a courier before. Like, who does that. That's not a thing I do. I don't have like a Couriers R Us app on my phone. So I asked Magic. I'm like, hey, I have like five unboxed computers that I can't ship because they're not in boxes. I need to get them from Santa Cruz to San Francisco. What can you do? And they went and looked into it and it took a couple days because at first they were like, yeah, that'll cost like $400. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's insane. And they they went and they were like, okay, let, let us try again. And they will tackle those those problems where you're just like, I don't even know where to start with this. So that was kind of another cool sort of over-the-top thing. And, yeah, they found me a courier. They made the arrangements. The computers were moved, and it was great. Now I have to expense it, and it's a little weird because I'm like, what do I print out these text messages and say, <laughs> like, here, here we go. So um, that that's another problem that is my problem. But The other yeah. utility for these things, though, I think is as gifts, too, is I had a friend who was broke, and she wanted a pizza. And so we made a pizza exchange. She still owes me a pizza. Aww. But I used uh, Grubhub. I can't even Grubhub. Yeah, Grubhub. I, love that one. I used Grubhub to get a pizza delivered to her, uh, and uh, you know, and that was nice. And I realized that's actually that kind of thing, like the gift for new parents would be, mm-hmm. you know, credit at one of these services. Like, oh, you need none of them do that. Yeah, I've, this is. I've the been next begging wave. them to do that because yeah, it would be perfect for for baby gifts. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting thing about Amazon. Uh, the one click uh, option there is, uh, I'm sorry, not one click, but uh, one click plus uh, Amazon Prime. It was a not a secret, but I don't think they promoted it initially. You can have five addresses associated with your Prime account. So you can have home and work, and all of us have our second homes, our vacation homes, oh, our pool sure. homes, our <laughs> Hawaiian homes. So that fills up all five for us. But for other people, uh, so we added my uh, brother-in-law before. I think they eventually got a Prime account, but my brother-in-law and his wife, we added them. So they got free Prime shipping uh, as well. And so um, there's like this, this, we talked about this with Apple before. Some of these companies forget that, and they're oriented towards young single people with high incomes. Uh, it's that some people have other people in their lives, like family or very close friends or whatever, and maybe they want to do something for someone else or be part of a community that does it. I'm uh, kind of mad that I didn't know about that multiple addresses thing until right now. Oh, yeah, it's like a secret. I don't think they promote it. I think if you go and Why read the Why do fact, I have my own account? This is crazy. Oh, yeah, there's some things you can't get. You can't get streaming. You only share shipping, but you can always log in with someone else's streaming ID. Not that we would suggest that on the Macworld podcast, of course, anything like that. Well, if you're a shut-in, uh, you know how to find us because you can just come to Macworld.com. Then you never have to leave your house to read. And, you know, Apple will bring things to your door through UPS and FedEx and so forth. Just remember to sign for it if you're not going to be there. But you are a shut-in, so you'll always be there 
to receive it. Uh, but here's another great thing. I'm not for shutting. Sorry. For people who like to spend time uh, learning about new things. A uh, homebody. A homebody. Home I'm, ca- I'm kind of. I'm, I'm a homebody. Home I'm yeah, quite a homebody. I just myself. really like my house. You my know. house is great. So uh, our last sponsor this week is the great sor- uh, sorry so great the, the great sorceress. Our last sponsor this week is The Great Courses, which Susie will be delighted to tell you about. Yeah, so when you're when you're staying at home and you're waiting for your Instacart and your Postmates and your magic, um, you can learn stuff and expand your brain. And The Great Courses is a wonderful way to do that. They have uh, college-level lectures on a ton of different topics. They've been at this for 25 years, so the number of courses is both large and varied. Um, they have a special landing page just for Macworld podcast listeners, and that's thegreatcourses.com slash Macworld. And on there, you will find some a special selection of courses that were handpicked um, to get you started with The Great Courses, and they're at hugely discounted prices of up to 80% off. Um, so I'm looking at that, and they've sent me Understanding Investments. You've heard me talk about that on the last several podcasts. They just sent me a new one called Fundamentals of Photography. So this is like a hands-on thing. Ooh. I can finally learn how to use the DSLR that we all share here at work um, since you know I can take it home and, and really get into it, and that way my pictures will be a lot better. So there's 24 different lectures in this, in this video course, and um, you, you get, you, those come with transcripts, and you can take notes, so it's all very searchable, and the lectures are broken up into topics, so if you're like, I already know all about light, but I need to know about aperture and depth of field, or, you know, I need some composition tips, or, you know, I know all about composition, uh, tell me some tips for low-light shooting. So I'm really excited to dig into the photography class. There's also a special breakout um, lesson. If you, if you have some photography skills already, but you just want to take it to the next level, there's a whole course on the art of travel photography. So it will give you lots and lots of intelligence about um, taking landscape shots and just really making your travel photos stand out so they'll be better than all those 30-cent postcards. Um, There's courses about writing, about storytelling. Um, There's a a cooking course called the Everyday Gourmet that looks really, really interesting. It's taught by a Culinary Institute of America instructor. So, I mean, these people know what they're talking about. Um, Mental math is kind of cool if you've always uh, been jealous of the people who who can add up numbers in their heads and stuff and uh, just do all these um, quick cal- calculations, and you're like, "What? Do you have a computer in your brain? Um, it can it can tell you how to how to get to that point." So, so these courses are really interesting, and the quality is great. So, I really think you should go check them out. It's at thegreatcourses.com/macworld, up to eighty percent off for a limited time. And we'd like to thank the Great Courses for sponsoring the podcast. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. We've talked about a lot. We, we recommend, obviously, after listening to this, that you go and watch the Steve Jobs trailer, get angry about it, and then leave your house for a while because <laughs> it'll make you want to walk and walk in the streets in rage. Uh, but I want to thank uh, this week's uh, participants in the show. Roman Loyola, thank you very much. You're welcome. Caitlin McGarry, thank you. Thank you. Susie Oaks, great to talk to you as always. Yeah, I'll talk to you next week. And I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. And uh, thanks to The Great Courses, Dashlane and Igloo, for sponsoring this episode. This has been episode 457 of the Macworld podcast for May 20th, 2015. And we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>